Now we're going to read together tonight from a book that we have not read from in the mission, and it's the wonderful book of Proverbs. So we're turning to the Old Testament tonight. Uh, If you can find the book of Psalms, then you'll find the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a very good book. You know it's got 31 chapters, and if you were to read a chapter of Proverbs each day, then you would read the entire book in a month. And I know someone, or did know someone, who did that very thing. Read a chapter of Proverbs every day, right through. And of course, if it's just 30 days in the month or so, you read a little extra. But it just fits in very nicely for a 31-day month. But it's a tremendous book. Uh, Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon was accredited to be the wisest man in the world. He was certainly a man of tremendous wisdom and could address people and speak on topics from many, many different sciences in the known world at that time. And the Proverbs has got advice for all kinds of people. It has got great advice for young people. And thank God today it's got great advice for elderly people too. And it does say that we are to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And you know, friends, I never need to worry about my path in life when I've committed my future to such a gracious and wonderful guide. I know that wherever he will take me, it shall be well. And whether we go through dark valleys or whether we are on a mountaintop of joy and elation, it's always well. And you know, the Bible does say, Say ye to the righteous, it shall be well with him. Say to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. So we got a choice. We got to decide, do we want to have the way that leads to uh, ill or do we want to have the way that leads to well? The way that leads to blessing or the way that leads to cursing? The way that leads to the favor of God or the condemnation of God? That's a very clear choice. Two poles are set before us as like a north pole and a south pole and we've got to make a choice. Who will it be? Which will it be? Who will I follow? Who will have my hand and heart? Who will have my allegiance? Shall it be him or shall it be the dark prince of the underworld? Who will it be? Well, here's a passage tonight from Proverbs chapter 1 just to get right into our message and uh, get through not too uh, long into the evening. Proverbs chapter 1 and commencing to read at verse 20. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom crieth without. And sometimes when we read about wisdom in Proverbs, wisdom is personalized or personified, and Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. So sometimes when you read this, you might want to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. 
turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and ye would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as the whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Now we're going to end there at verse 33 and pray that God will bless His Word to our hearts. Please join me for a brief moment of prayer again. Dear Father in heaven, we are such a privileged people to have the written Word of God in our own language that we can read it at any time. And we know, Lord, that that is a great privilege, but it also brings a great responsibility. And we know, Lord, tonight that Thy Word is a lamp unto a man or a woman's feet and a, a, a light unto their path. And we know also, Lord, that this Word will judge us in the last day. And Thou hast magnified Thy Word even above all Thy name. Heaven and earth shall pass away, and that's for sure. We've been reading that over and over again in the Scriptures too. But Thy Word, Lord, shall not pass away. Not one jot or one tittle, not even the smallest particle of it will pass away. It is forever settled in heaven. And thy grace and thy power and thy spirit and thy favor are upon it, Lord, to make it real in the hearts of those who will obey it. And so we pray this evening, dear Father, that in the message that the Spirit of the Lord himself will speak into our hearts and touch us tonight, and we do pray, Lord Jesus, that people will feel themselves to be as individuals in this service and to feel drawn to Jesus Christ, to feel drawn to the wisdom of God who is none other than the Son of God. Oh, bless Jesus, touch my heart and touch my mind and touch my spirit that I might speak in living echoes of thy tone. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and for thy glory only. Amen and amen. We are a very privileged people in that we have God's Word, as I've already prayed, that we can read and allow the Holy Spirit to take that Word and speak into our hearts. It's a great tragedy whenever we have got such an amazing book given to us by God and we don't open it nor read it and it lies there and the dust gathers on it. And there are many homes across our land that have got Bible, a Bible, or indeed Bibles, multiple Bibles. 
but they don't open them and they don't read them. And, you know, invariably I uh, feel uh, how ignorant people are of the things of God. Even if you were to listen to a quiz, you would find that invariably whenever a Bible question is asked, even the most simple question is unknown to many, many people who attend those quiz programs. Why is that? Because it's an unknown book to them, an unread book. And they may read many books and they may be very knowledgeable in many things. But as regards the things of God, there is a dark ignorance over so many people. But I I would presume tonight that that's not true about you. I would think tonight that you would have at least a smattering of knowledge uh, concerning the things of God that you are not unaware of the reality of salvation in Jesus Christ, that you are not unaware of the fact that there comes a moment when you need to repent and seek the Lord and call upon Him. I would imagine tonight that most all of us here in the gathering are very well aware that there was an event in history that really was like a fulcrum in all of history, and that is the cross work of Jesus. And that by that matchless cross, Dr. Paul Rees called it the Radiant Cross. And he's got a wonderful book on the Radiant Cross. It was Sir John Bowering who wrote a great hymn, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. And thank God tonight, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. And we were singing that hymn some years ago in India. At a youth convention, there were some thousands of young people in the great hall where we were gathered. I don't remember now how many, but maybe four or five thousand young people. And they were there for the breaking of bread around the Lord's table in this huge gathering. And we began to sing that tremendous hymn. I was sharing in the communion service. Mrs. Stewart was sitting somewhat further back in the congregation. And you know, we were both amazingly, powerfully touched through as we began to sing that hymn, and especially as we came to the middle part of it, where two wonders I confess, the wonders of His glorious love and my own worthlessness. And you know, I seemed as if I'd never sung that hymn before. And when I said to Mrs. Stewart after me, you know that hymn tonight, today, it was the morning, today, I said that hymn, especially that part, two wonders I confess, the wonders of his glorious love and my own worthlessness. I couldn't keep back the emotion that morning and she was the very same. God was speaking and moving across all those lovely young Indian ladies, girls, and boys. Teenagers, 20s, 25, 30 years of age. What a tremendous experience that was. And this is true wherever we go. The cross work of Jesus is the mighty power of the gospel. And oh, my dear people, though it is not known in Old Testament times as back here in the days of Solomon and in the book of Proverbs, there is enough here tonight in this passage to speak into our hearts here 3,000 years later in history. Right now, this 
evening, Wednesday night, in the mission at the lifeboat. What is the main drift and thrust of the message? Well, it is that God is speaking. And He is the speaking God. He is the speaking God. He is the one living, true, speaking God. And He speaks through His Word. And He puts out a call, a clarion call to the people. And He says, Turn you at my reproof. We read that in verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. You know, in it I see a wonderful, golden, God-given opportunity. It is because people are concerned about us that they put up warning signs in certain places. Maybe if you were driving on the road, you might see a warning. Flooding, be aware, be careful. In case you drive into a flood and get stuck in it. Sometimes it rocks and rock faces. There's warnings against going too close because of falling, uh, falling rocks and so on so forth. Warnings. Swimming. Watch where you swim. We have the warnings there. Out across the East Strand, when you go further across, there is much more danger of a rip current further toward the White Rocks. And they warn the swimmers to be careful when they go over to that part of the, of the beach and that part of the, the water because there is tremendous danger. Also near Black Rock on the West Strand, there is a tremendous danger of being sucked in by the currents and carried out to sea. And that's why we have lifeguards on both beaches in the summertime particularly. Warnings are good things. They surely are. And life is full of warnings. When we're small, mom said, don't put your hand in the fire. <laughs> don't put your hand in the hot plate. Be careful. Don't stick your fingers in the 13-amp plug if you've got little fingers. Watch the door in case you lose the tip of your finger. I saw a little girl the other day. We know the family very well. And she had a little encounter with the door in the house and lost the top of her little finger. Well, our Carl lost uh, the top of her wedding finger when she was a small boy, a girl. She was running after somebody, and the boy who was through the door first slammed the door, and it caught in the jam of the door. And she said, Ma, no man will ever want to marry me now. I lost that part of my ring finger. Well, she got a man anyhow, and he came from this area, so it wasn't too bad. He must have been all right. My dear people, there's warnings put out by the Lord so that we might be aware that there's danger. And I would be a very unfaithful pastor and minister if I was not given to warning people. My ministry has been invitational. My ministry has been informative. But my ministry is also a warning ministry. The watchman in Ezekiel's prophecy is told to uh, watch for the people, to speak the warning. He's to keep eyes open for the danger. And ladies and gentlemen, there's danger ahead outside of Jesus Christ. And that's why God puts warnings in our way. I say God reproves people. And thank God He has not left us and allowed us to plunge through life unwarned. He's a merciful God. 
And even in the strongest warnings, there is opportunity. And what is the opportunity? To turn. To turn. Because he says, turn you at my reproof. And why do we need to turn? Why do we need to turn? Because our backs are toward God and our faces are toward eternal judgment because our backs are toward God and ahead of us there is a yawning eternity and a lost eternity, a hell where the fire is never quenched and where the worm of conscience never dies. And God is warning us, not only in His Word, but the very cross of Jesus. Whilst it is a barrier, it is also a warning, because if there was no danger, there would need to be no, there would be no need for redemption. There would be no need for what the Savior suffered if there was no eternity and nothing ahead to be worried about. But he raised a high cross that stands with arms outstretched like a sentinel in the night with two arms outstretched, as the hymn says, to save and to stop us on that mad journey on the broad way that leads down to destruction. Oh, yes, my dear people, whilst God is a warning God and he speaks messages of warning, he has also put out great invitations, and the invitation is turn at my reproof. Have you ever felt God's reproof, God's corrective voice? I have. I had. And thank God for it. And God's corrective voice is given in the law of God. What an awesome thing that was. So much so that the Israelite people said, Oh, Moses, speak to God that he speaks no more to us because we can't stand the awesome voice of God. And what did he say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. Do you do that? Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. There we have it. It's God's law, written in letters of flame on Mount Sinai burned with the finger of God into two stone tablets and written into the Scriptures so that we might have God's standard, God's plumb line, God's benchmark. And the law, says the Bible, is our schoolmaster. And what is it the schoolmaster to do? It's the schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ. And whenever conviction of sin comes on our hearts, it's because there's a standard written into consciousness by the Spirit of God because we are made in the image of God. There's a standard written into us, into our very inmost psyche. 
And then there's the standard that's written into the Scriptures so that when we come face to face with the law, we feel, Oh, my Lord, I have broken your law. And to be a lawbreaker is to be a transgressor. A transgressor is a sinner. And God's reproving voice is in His law. It brings conviction of sin. As Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and said, Go your way, Paul, some more convenient day. But it was the terrors of God's standard that made Felix tremble in the presence of God and the Apostle Paul. God's law is a message. God's Spirit is a reprover as well. It was the working of God's Spirit in my heart as a young man speaking to me, planting God's truth in my heart, warning me of the Lord's return, speaking to me about my sin, my language, the lies I told, the things I'd stolen. You're looking at a converted thief, a converted liar. You're looking at a converted swearer. I was that. But my dear people, Jesus changed my life. And I made restitution for the things I'd stolen after I was converted. I did. God spoke to me about that. His Holy Spirit began to strive with me and wrestle with me, so much so that I was uneasy and restless at night before I was converted because God was striving with my spirit. I think of a lady in one of our missions, uh, Mr. Park and I, Bill Park and I were missioning in Donna Cloney back in 1969. There was a grand move of the Spirit of God. In five weeks, I think we counseled something like 50 people in five weeks. There was a wonderful move of God. Young men and young women, there was a great number came to Jesus Christ in those missions. But there was one lady, and I had been to her farm one day, and she said, you know, I was at a mission many years ago, and God was speaking to me, and I couldn't sleep. And I was so disturbed. But she said, I pushed out past the faith mission pilgrims and I went home and I went to my bed. But the voice kept speaking on to me. And she said, I pulled the blankets up to try to cover that voice out. And she said, I got out of bed and I got down and I said, God, leave me alone. And she said, immediately, the voice stopped. This was many years later that I arrived at the farm place and I went back. We were at a different mission. We were at Balnebragget, outside Donatloni. Then we moved into Donatloni and now we're in Donatloni village doing the mission. And so I went back to invite this lady, Mrs. McConnell, that was her name. And I went to invite her back and I found her down at the backyard of the farm and she was burning paper meal bags. And as I stood forward to her to invite her to the mission, you know, she said, when I look into that fire and those burning meal bags, she said, I think I see, I feel, I see the flames of hell. And I'm afraid. 
And I said to her, Mrs. McConnell, God is speaking to you. He's giving you another chance. Because if you had committed the unpardonable sin and sinned away your day of grace, there would be no further voice of God. But God is speaking to you. And you must not miss it this time round. Well, she was at the mission. Another night or two later on, I don't remember exactly just how quickly it was after that, but after the meeting one evening, whenever the invitation was given to come to Jesus Christ, here she was, seeking the Lord. And she was in the porch of the hall where we were, and she was weeping, and she said, oh, she said, all day today, she says, God has been speaking to me. And she says, I have wept, and I was in the byre, she says, and I leaned over the grape, she said, and cried. And that night, she came to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's gracious Holy Spirit, listen to me. Don't shut me out tonight. Don't stick your fingers in your ears, so to speak. Do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. Do not stifle God's Holy Spirit because He's the only one that can draw you to Jesus Christ. If you stifle His voice, shut Him out of your life, you might go a long time before you'll ever hear Him speak to you again. In fact, you might never hear Him speak to you again. Because the Bible says there is a sin unto death. And what is it? It's when you grieve God's Spirit away. And God says, my Spirit will not always strive with man. The Spirit of God reproves. And the circumstances in life reprove. God reproves by the events that are taking place and warning. And there's alarm bells warning people today to flee from the wrath to come, to get into the ark, to seek the Lord, to be saved. Yes, God says, turn you at my reproof. I wonder, do you know the hymn that I'm thinking about? Listen to it. Oh, turn ye. O turn ye, for why will you die when God in great mercy is drawing so nigh? Now Jesus invites you. The Spirit says, come. And angels are waiting to welcome you home. O turn ye, Oh, turn ye. And maybe if you don't turn, and you die in your sin, then you'll burn. God is real. Heaven is real. 
hell is real. Years ago in an evangelistic mission, there were some men, youngish men, attending the mission. Some were disrespectful. Disrespectful to the preacher, as sometimes happens. The bravado of the crowd. And one young man got on his motorbike and he said, Two minutes from now, home or hell. And he revved up and shot up the road, crested a hill. There was a lorry coming over the other side. And within two minutes, he was in hell. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, you will reap. It is a mercy that God calls. He tells us who he calls. He says he calls simple people. Do you know what that word simple means in our terminology? Naive. Naive people. And a naive person is someone who will believe anything but examine nothing. They'll believe anything but examine nothing. There's a lot of naive people. Opportunity comes to scorning ones. This is all in verse 22. Who are scorning people? Those who think they know everything and sneer at the things of real importance. Let me say that again. Those who think they know everything and sneer at the things of real importance. Is that you? Opportunity comes to foolish ones. Who are the foolish? Those who are willfully ignorant and stubborn because they refuse to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the summation of a fool who refuses to acknowledge the Lord Jesus who stubbornly and willfully, ignorantly goes on. A fool. And over these weeks, I've been thinking about a verse. I haven't preached on it, but I've been thinking about it. The lament of David the king at the sad death of a young man. And he walked behind the coffin and he said, Died Abner as a fool dieth. King David wept as they carried Abner to his grave. And he said, Oh, died Abner as a fool dieth. My dear man, don't die as a fool. I think it was Mr. Workman talking about his father who was at the end of life. Certainly some preacher, I'm pretty sure it was him, and he was concerned about his father going out into eternity unconverted. And he said, son, I'd be a coward to come now. All my life I've turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ. All my life I've lived 
the way I live. I don't want to be a coward and make God a fire escape from hell. And he said to his father, Father, would you rather die a coward or a fool? Better to come even though you think yourself to be a coward rather than to die a fool. Thou fool, said God about a certain farmer. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be? And the next morning the news went round the neighborhood. So and so, the big farmer up the road with the sheds and the expanding barns. Did you hear the news? What news? He died in his sleep last night. Not surely. Joe Bloggs couldn't be. It's true. He's gone. Tomorrow's sun may never rise. To light thy long deluded eyes, thou wouldst be saved. Why not tonight? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, God says, if you will turn, here's the promise. Here's the nice side. I like preaching the nice side, but I am equally earnest when I speak about the dark side. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you, and I will make my words known unto you. What a dividend. What a promise. He said, I'll do two things for you. If you will turn and come to me tonight, if you will leave your sin, if you will come to the cross, if you will say, God, I know I am a guilty sinner. I deserve eternal death. But Jesus died in my place. And tonight he's my substitute and I will trust him with my soul and with my future and with my eternity. God said, I'll do two things for you. He said, I'll give you my spirit and that means life. For the spirit is life, says the Bible. God will put within you life, eternal life. I can't explain it, but I know it's real. And you will too. And you will begin to live because he that hath the Son hath life. And you can walk out tonight from this lifeboat beating house with the life of Jesus Christ in your heart. You've come in tonight. I don't know you all. Some of you have got to know now through the mission, but there's others tonight. And you're here with us tonight. And it may be your very first night. And you've just got in in time. There's just two more nights. But you've got in in time. And for that I thank the Lord this night so very much. Don't miss the doorway of salvation. God says, I want to put my life in you. And he says, I'll make my words known to you. And this book, 
that is up till this point in time, a dead book will become a living book. You see, you know, Eric, I read that book, I couldn't understand it. It was like double dutch to me. Well, God will open your eyes and you'll begin to read and say, wow, look at that, I see that. And I never realized that was there. He says, I'll make my words known to you. And you'll get to begin to read this book until it takes hold of you. And the word of God, like David the king said, thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. The special and saving grace of God will never be denied to those who truly turn from their sin. And not only that, but along with it, God says, I'll put my life in you and I'll give you an understanding to know the things of God. I will open your understanding. He said that when he wrote it here in his word. But the sad tragedy is that back then and now, people said, no, we're not for turning. Like used to be said about Mrs. Thatcher, the iron lady, the lady's not for turning. <laughs> Remember that? The lady's not for turning. There's a lot of people and they're not for turning. They're not wanting to turn. But in the Lord's wonderful providence and mercy, He wants you tonight to turn and seek His face. Turn around. He's watching. He's waiting. His arm is stretched out still after all these years. And tonight the door is open. An opportunity is a, a knocking. It used to be a program a long time back. I can hardly remember, but I think it was, there's a man called Harry Green or somebody. Opportunity knocks. Opportunity knocks. Who is that knocking at my heart's door? Seeking, calling, waiting, waiting to be asked in. And the chorus goes, Surely tis Jesus. Can't you hear him? As a little boy, I remember singing at the heart's door, the Savior's knocking. At the heart's door, fast closed by sin. Can't you hear him? Gently knocking, waiting to be let in. You know, I love the very last verse, and I'm not going to prolong the service. You've listened very carefully. 
What does the Lord say in the final words of the passage? Whoso hearkeneth to me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Do you want a place of refuge? Do you want a place of safety? Do you want to have a place where you don't fear death? For that surely must be the ultimate evil of life. That we should be consigned to death, have no more opportunity, and the Spirit depart from our bodies and our souls, go out into eternity. To be able to look that specter, that executioner in the face, and say, Death, I don't fear you anymore because Jesus has taken my death. And you make it a doorway to endless light and glory. It's no longer a dark tunnel to outer darkness. It becomes the doorway to eternal glory and bliss. And God says, if you will listen to me, this is what you will receive. This is what you will receive. You will dwell in safety. And you will be saved from the fear. You will be quiet from the fear of evil. How many people over the years, whenever they talk seriously, they say, you know, I'm afraid to die. So an elderly man, many years back, lived next to us, Port Rush. He said to one of the staff in the Bible college, I'm afraid to die. It's not the fear of death that is the greatest fear. It's the fear of what comes after death. That ought to be your greatest fear. But because a Savior has died and lives again, I have to add that in. Because His living power will make real in you what His dying death purchased for you. Did you get that? His living power will make real in you what his dying death purchased for you. And so out from the mists and out into clear focus tonight, there comes the power of the cross. And the call from the cross to you tonight is this. Turn. Turn ye at my reproof. Heed my voice. Listen to the invitation. Take on board the warning. Bring me your sin, black as it may be, rebellious as you have been, unjustly condemned and deserving of eternal perdition as you are, 
and come to me, says Jesus Christ, and I will freely forgive you. I will make you my own. I will put my spirit in you. And I will open my words to you. That surely has to be a grand offer. Now tonight it's over to you. It's on your shoulders now. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart may be asking, what will he do with me? You know, folks, I don't know you all, but I want you to know something. I love you with the love of my Lord Jesus. And if I could carry you to Jesus, I would. Nothing would give me more joy. And Yvonne, my wife, nothing would give us more joy, hear me, than to kneel with you and point you to the Savior. But we can't force you. It's free, voluntary, and personal. Now what will you do? Will you turn and come just as you are? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, surely thou art in this place, Lord. Surely thy Holy Spirit has been speaking Surely we have felt ourselves to be handled by the Spirit's grace and power and convincing, convicting presence this night. And in our consciousness and in our conscience, there is no one but fully realizes that this is serious business and it's business that I need to attend to. And I pray thee, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will give the strength to those this night who are moved now, thinking, weighing the issues, counting the cost. Dear Lord, there may be someone and they're afraid of what might happen to them when they go home and tell the people at home. It'll cost them. Don't let it keep them back, Lord Jesus. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. I will be His. I will come. Heavenly Father, give grace, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.